Seinfeld, the Van Buren boys, is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who have no good stories to sell J.P. or Min. I'm Rob Sisterner, and here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Good. Here are two guys who, you know, never get eaten by hamburgers. Yes. Uh, two guys who wish they had 2.0 GPAs. <laughs> Why? Did you have a bad GPA? I feel like you would be no, a good No, no. I mean, I the, uh, by the way, I actually did. I had a pretty bad, in, in high school, I had a good um, GPA. Mm-hmm. But in college, I kind of had a bad GPA. Why? Because you met your wife and you were in love? Yeah. First of all, yeah, I came into college uh, with my wife. Yeah. And I had a kid in college. Mm-hmm. Also, like... The school I went to was like it was really hard. Like yeah, we had to take like four hour a day Talmud classes, and I wouldn't show up to class, and I wouldn't show up to the final. Like that really hurts your grade. Yeah. Uh, what are you gonna do, Keeve? Look at you now. Look at all those teachers that they thought yeah. that they were gonna hold you back, and now yeah, look. No, they at said you. I would never amount to anything. Yes, and here no, we like, are. Literally last week, they said I would never. Amount to anything. <laughs> no, <laughs> blasphemy. Because here we are. What on Seinfeld podcast number one forty. 141, where are we? Well, in the episode, it's, what, what are we at, like 148? I don't know. Uh, one, yeah, 148, so there you go. There's a lot. The actual podcast, it might be like low 140. Yes. Out of, we're working our way, what, all the way to 180? Well, the episodes are 180. The podcasts, I guess, are probably in like 170, 172 something. Okay, so there you go. All right, so Keeve, we've got a lot to get to here today, talking about the Van Buren boys, a gang of hooligans, uh, which is really very front and center on this episode of Seinfeld. Well, it's front and center in the title, but are they, do we really, I mean, I can't tell if you, I'm also very sick. I don't know if the listeners can tell. What's wrong with you? I just, I am just under the weather and um, not, not feeling great. Yeah. Be, I was thinking like, oh, if we could keep this podcast under an hour, like old school, you know, that would be great. Mm. So, you know, it would be funny if like someone's, if someone's listening and like they already know how long it is because that's what it says it on iTunes or wherever your podcast app is. And it, let's say if the podcast said like three hours, 23 minutes or something. Yeah. They're laughing at me right now that we didn't we did not quite go under the hour. All right. So Keeve isn't feeling well. You're not depressed, are you? Or more than usual? No, I don't know. What, what would I be depressed about? I mean, February is sort of the month of doldrums. Yeah. There's nothing going on. Yeah. I like did laundry today, like full, not, not like real laundry, but like I put dirty clothes <laughs> in the hamper. OK. All right. Baby steps. Baby steps here for Keeve. All right. So let's get into talking about the Van Buren boys. And of course, uh, this episode comes to us from February 6th, 1997. Keeve, we're sneaking up on the date. Yeah, I think next week we we jump a couple and maybe that's as close as we'll ever get. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. It'll be like Haley's Comet next week. The Van Buren Boys, written by Darren Henry. Who's Darren Henry? Darren Henry was, it looks like he was like the writer's assistant in the room. And I guess maybe he like, uh, you know, they liked him and he was sort of the mascot of the of of the writers. So they let him write this episode. But it's not a one-off thing. He does write a couple episodes in season nine. Okay, so we will see more from Darren Henry Later on, but this is the first entry from Darren Henry in the Seinfeld verse. And so the episode starts off with Jerry and George talking on the street. And they're talking about something that is not really a plot point, but is at least tonally part of the episode. And they're discussing about which presidents had a beard. When was the last president with a beard? And George says Nixon had a beard, and Jerry says not that much of a beard. So I guess Nixon wore a beard at one point. It was the 70s, 
right? Yeah, I was it was the seventies. What's the biggest beard time in in like the last hundred years? I think now. Now, well, now it's trendiest. Back then, they, it wasn't for. Back then, it was for warmth. Like you needed a beard in the winter to keep you know like from freezing. Yeah, uh, I'm looking on Wikipedia of list of presidents of the United States with facial hair. They do not count Nixon. Uh, I think Taft was the last uh, mustachioed president. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt had a mustache. Uh, Benjamin Harrison, I think, went with the beard. Now, do these guys shave every day, or are they incapable of growing beards? Hmm. Like who? Like Trump has never had any facial hair, right? I think that Trump, I think, famously shaves every day. He does shave every day. Yeah. I think rich guys do shave every day. I think that's like a rich guy move, right? Right, right. And that might be everyone. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just like a bum. <laughs> There's no picture of Trump ever that he would stubble. I was walking down the street this week, and like a stranger told me to shave. A stranger just said, like, hey, shave. It was like someone, I don't know their name. Like, they knew who I was, and they're like, wow, you should really shave. The beard's getting out of control. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, it's been at least eight, maybe like nine weeks since I shaved, and it's, it's pretty insane. Yeah. So I don't know if we will ever have a bearded president. I have to feel like that we will. I'm trying to think who's going to be next. Does Kanye have a beard? Mm, Kanye, I think, typically wears some facial hair, right? Yeah, so maybe he'll, he's the next president, I think, so he, we may have a, fa uh, a facial hair president soon. Yeah, I think that maybe we could have a president, uh, maybe one Movember uh, could grow a beard. That could be a good uh, PR move. Oh, yeah, that would definitely move up your, um, that would definitely rocket you up in the uh, old approval ratings. Yeah, and then... We're going to have uh, women presidents, what, eventually, right? At some point, that's a reasonable assumption. Yeah, oh yeah, we definitely have a women's president at some point. So that's going to be the next 45. Be some wild cards in there. So we'll see. All right. So presidents also, this was interesting that George made up a president name. He talked about uh, Mallard Falkmore. Was this the name, the fake name that he talked about? Yeah. A little bit like Millard Fillmore. Yeah, and he just sort of like, maybe he had that in his head. And they were talking about why do so many presidents have bad names? And uh, there was the answer is that because the presidency attracts bad names, it's classic overcompensation. You have a bad name and you are forced to uh, try to like get as far as you can in life to overcome that bad name. You buying into that, Keith? I mean, that's the old like the oldest bullying story in the book, right? Yeah, what, the the kid who has a funny name or picks on him? Well, no, just like president. a kid who gets picked on, so they, like, you know, it, it drives them to, like, do better, and then they could look back at their classmates and say, like, aha, I made it. I'm, I'm president, even though my name is Woodrow. I just think that people had weird names uh, in the past. Yeah, Woodrow might have been John back then. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. We don't know. And I think that most of the presidents, I guess uh, Barack Obama is kind of an unusual name. Yeah, I mean, Donald, there aren't a lot, like, certain names, like, we. there used to be a lot of them. Like, there were a lot of Donalds. I'm not sure if there's a lot of Donalds under 30. Mm-hmm, yeah. I feel like that most Donalds are usually, like, Don or Donnie. Right, I guess. But um, then George, that George is a pretty common name still. Right, right. Bush is very much a, uh, you know, like, these names are very, uh, you know, very normal. What about Ronald? Ronald? Um, I think that's that's on the downswing. It's definitely on the downswing. I don't think there's a lot of new Ronalds, but maybe Rons or Ronnies. I think that that's well, not. Well, Reagan as a girl's name is not a bad girl's name, honestly. Not bad. It's not bad. I, by the way, I'm my wife and I are having a kid. I think it's due next weekend. Yeah. Um, And we have not. It, it occurred to me today. We have not discussed. This is how you know you're having your fourth kid. 
we have not discussed girls' names, and we don't hmm. know what we're having. Okay. So, not, so if you have any suggestions between now and the end of the podcast, I'm all ears. I mean, we literally have not had one conversation in eight and a half months about what should we name the kid if it's a girl. Do you think she's sitting on a girl's name? No, I, 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 I'm 99% sure. Because just today she said, you know, we've never discussed girls' names. And I mm-hmm. walked away. I'm like, yeah, I know. Do you have anything? She's like, no, I haven't, th- I haven't thought of anything. <laughs> um, so she's not sitting on anything. Okay. All right. Well, let's go. Should we leave it. it to the listeners? Yes. Make a, like a poll on Twitter and I'll pick whatever name it is. <laughs> yeah. But, a Twitter poll would be good. But I have to suggest it naturally. And like no one, it has to be like a, uh, like a don't tell my wife type thing. Like no one's allowed to snitch and say like, you know that he picked that name from a Twitter poll. Yeah. I mean, should it be a Seinfeld related name or do, what do you want? I, ideally, if we're doing it here, it has to be, it has to be at least tangentially related to Seinfeld. Like, I don't know if we could go full seven. She's not going to go for seven. Yeah. Elaine's too on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Like if my kid comes out and it's 85, we could name it Elaine. But I'm, we're not, you're not naming a baby <laughs> Elaine now. <laughs> okay. Uh, in this episode, we see Jerry's girlfriend is named Ellen. Yeah. Is that a sign? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not naming I'm not naming the kid Ellen. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wow. All right. We'll see if we, anything comes up. So in the restaurant. What about Buren? Buren? No, okay. Van Buren. I don't know. No, I think that's a reach. Buren. <laughs> what if it's a boy, Lorenzo, for the pizza store? Lorenzo is interesting. Yeah. If he's eight pounds, sure. That's for Van Buren. He has to be like a big baby. You can't name like a little baby Lorenzo. It has to be a big baby. Well, if you want to have the eight tie-in for the Van Buren boys. I guess if he has like eight toes. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. All right. So special guest star this week. We have a very interesting Christine Taylor is going to be Jerry's girlfriend, Ellen. Uh, Christine Taylor, I think, would go on to have notoriety in the Brady Bunch uh, films. Now, were those already a thing? I guess, has she already done that by then? I think probably, yeah, by this episode. I think so. I think that's probably like 94 or 95. So I guess she had already been Marsha Brady. And so now here she is, it's Jerry's girlfriend. But what she would go on to do... I be, correct me if I'm wrong, is that she would go on to marry actor Ben Stiller, yes. son of Jerry Stiller, Frank Costanza. Uh, yes. Yeah. Ironically, uh, you know, marrying Morty Seinfeld, you know, dating in the episode Morty Seinfeld's son, but marrying um, George Costanza's, uh, you know, or I guess Frank Costanza's son in um, in real life. Yeah. Now, did they already start dating? Is that how she got connected with Seinfeld? I don't think so. Is there any connection here where, is this how she met Ben Stiller? Hmm. Um, They got married in 2000. If I had to guess, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it was like a a torrid romance and they were married within the year. They've been married for 17 years. That's like, in Hollywood terms, it's like 60. Right. Do you ever think about that? You live in LA. Do you ever think about like, You've been married for what, like eight years, nine years? <laughs> uh, you ever think like, well, in Hollywood years, that's forty. Yeah, this Good year will us. be seven. <laughs> be seven. Okay, seven year itch, I think. But do you think? Do you think of the Holly of like Hollywood years or no? Because you're not. Really <laughs> no, no, I do not think of it as a Hollywood marriage. Yeah. So I'm looking at an article from uh, People so com, uh, the celebrity section, and he's talking about how uh, they just started hanging out with each other, and it developed into, wow, this feels great, but I don't think that there is a, um, no, but no uh, quick answers to how they met. They're, listen, they're Hollywood people. They might, they're like, Ben Stiller's a celebrity. You might keep that private. 
Okay. So Jerry is on a date with this woman, Ellen, and everything is seemingly going well. Uh, They're having a conversation about that there is some sort of what algorithm or device that's going to tell you how long you have to live. And uh, Jerry asks, what's the point of this thing? Just like when you're on your deathbed to say, see, I told you this thing is good. Uh, We end up finding out that it was her birthday. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this still holds up. Completely insane to go on a first date on your birthday. Yeah, that was rather bizarre to go on the first date on your birthday. Uh, Any plausible explanation you can come up with? I mean, she had no other plans. Yeah. Okay. Like, we saw her friends. They don't seem to like her that much. Like, they didn't have any, you know, they didn't have anything uh, set for her. So it's better than being alone on your birthday going on a first date. Yeah. Also, he is, like, kind of a celebrity. Like, maybe that's a cool, you know, like, I'm going to go on a date with this comedian. And maybe, you know... uh, uh, you know, that like that's a big deal to her. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think that this is a great scenario to be in. I mean, you it was already her birthday. You took her out. You didn't have to do anything. Now, uh, you know, birthday's in the rearview mirror. I mean, birthday could be like a major pothole in the early going of a relationship. Yeah, that's a really good point. If the first date, you don't have to buy a present or you could like take her to some store and like buy her something cute and small, right? Like, you know, let's go to the dollar store. I'll buy you a present as a joke. Right. Um. And then you have 12 months to not worry about a birthday. That's brilliant. Right. You date somebody six weeks and they have a birthday. Then what? Then what are you doing? Well, what's the number where you're really stuck? Six weeks, I agree. You're beyond stuck. Mm-hmm. What about three weeks? How how stuck are you with three weeks? Yeah, all these things are tricky. I think three weeks, you're probably on the side of like, oh, you don't have to do that much. Right. If, if, the, if the person uh, whose birthday it is is sane, they'll say like, it's only been three weeks. Like, please, I don't want you to get me anything. Yeah. I think you can just go out and have a drink or something. Right. But, you know, you don't, you're not always like with a sane partner. Right. <laughs> right. So this storyline here that we're going to have uh, with Ellen is that I guess she's a loser, but I really don't like how this is presented to us in the episode because, again, we go back to this thing where if there is something about a person then it should be obvious to us in the audience. Uh, I have not liked it in the past where there is something that they're telling us about a person that we cannot see. I mean, are they? Tr- here's the question. Are they trying to be vague here? Are they just doing a bad job of like letting us know what's going on? It doesn't really make sense, right? Like, she a loser? Why is she a loser? Yeah. And who cares? If she was like this incredibly attractive woman, but she had like annoying habits, like she was like, you know, uh, picking her nose in public or she like she didn't have some sort of like normal social grace, but she was very attractive. Okay, I I would get that. But this was just like she seems like a totally normal person, except she doesn't have any friends. And because she's a loser and George and Kramer look at her and it's like they turn up their nose immediately. Like, Jerry, can't you see? This is obvious. She's a loser. Right. But they're also like floored. It's weird. It's like at first you're like, wait, are they just like blown away by how attractive she is and wondering why anybody's saying anything bad about her? They're like disgusted when they see her. It's weird. It's it's, it's not it's a little bit too vague. I agree. It, the, the truth is, there is a thing also like Jerry is so into like, oh, she's a loser. Then forget it. I don't like you. I, it's probably better to date a woman who's a loser. Yeah. That is because like tough. the worst thing that's ever going to happen is like your wife's going to come home and say like I've been talking to my friends and like do you know what like uh, you know what Donald did like mm-hmm. you know he you know uh, like oh believe me are- I've heard that before 
Like, and, you know, do you know Honey, what, what Lorraine... Don't worry about it. Get off, the, get off social media. Just let no. it relax for a little bit. That was... Right. Do you know what Lorenzo did? Like, you know, like he, he bought his, he bought his uh, you know, wife flowers and it wasn't her even her birthday. And he did it like four weeks in a row. And, yeah. the, and then there's like, they'll convince, you know, your, your girlfriend or whatever, like that you're an mm-hmm. idiot and like she should break up with you and she could do much better. Right. So if a girl has no friends, there's no one really to talk. She probably has no family either. And there's probably no one to talk her out of dating you. I think that's ideal, unless you're, like, actually a winner. (laughs) It is ideal. All right. So Jerry and George are talking about this. And uh, they're trying to figure out why they didn't have a birthday. Uh, George says, well, maybe she decided to celebrate it on the Monday after the birthday. I really like Jerry's line here where he says, she's not Lincoln. (laughs) Yeah. And I wonder if they wrote this, um, you know, basically President's Weekend time. Mm-hmm. I think the episode airs the first week. So, it, I mean, it's it's topical for Jerry and George, but I have to feel like that at the point where they wrote this episode, I have to feel like that they were probably uh, pretty far out from the Lincoln's birthday. Oh, OK. Fair enough. OK. So Kramer announces he's going to head out for some Lorenzo's pizza. I guess this is the new hot pizza joint in town. Uh George has a meeting at the foundation. They're going to give a scholarship to somebody. Again, that the scholarship is going to be just the latest in all the different ways the foundation is trying to give away all of the um, Ross's money. Yeah. And also, they don't trust George for anything, but they're letting him pick this person. It sounds strange. Sure. So we get into a montage of George interviewing a bunch of kids. Seemingly, nobody else is involved with this interview process. Uh, he's asking a kid what's their favorite animal. They say a frog. George is uh, disgusted. There's a girl who plays the harp. George wants to know why doesn't she tilt the harp or why don't they make a harp that's tilted. There's a kid with a 4.0 average. And then there is a kid who is the president of the chess club. His name is Steven. And George asks him who his favorite chess player is, and he makes up a name. Right. Classic Costanza. Classic Costanza. And George is very enamored with the young, lying chess player. I mean, he also says he's a 2.0 GPA. I imagine, like, most chess team captains are not, you know, don't have 2.0 GPAs in high school. What was he lying about that? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Does George ever pretend to be dumb? Well, I mean, was he lying about the chess team is what I'm asking. Oh, oh, good point. Yeah, probably. That's a good point. <laughs> That's very possible. And so he also says that he wants to be an architect, uh, which, of course, uh, is makes him uh, very much near and dear to George's heart. Did he somehow know that George liked architects? I'd say if it was 2017, he would have like done a deep dive on his Facebook page and figured out like that he liked a lot of like architecture pages. Mm-hmm. But I just don't don't think there's any way that he could have known. Like, how could he have done the research back then? Yeah. Okay. So we're back at Jerry's apartment. Elaine comes in. She announces that she is going to be ghostwriting Peterman's autobiography. And so she's working on that. Kramer comes in and tells his harrowing tale from Lorenzo's where he was loading up his pizza. He was getting the stink eye from some kids. He gave the crook eye back to them. And he ended up in an altercation with the Van Buren boys. Right. And he says them as if everyone would know who they were. Right. And the Van Buren boys suddenly called off their attack because Kramer was holding the, what, garlic powder in between his uh, pointer finger and thumb, giving the eight finger symbol for the Van Buren boys. Seinfeld writers are very concerned with presidential history. To, you know, to me, um, 
this is like a really poor sign by them. Like this, the word gets out on this Van Buren boys sign. Everyone's going to know it. They're just going to, they're not going to be able to beat anybody up. Everyone's going to be flashing eights at them. Yeah. I feel like there's got to be like, you got to flash eight. And then I ask you like the magic word. <laughs> well, what's the magic word? You know, it's like, well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, all right, what's you flash eight. It's like, okay, are you really a Van Buren boy? Now I'm going to ask you like, uh, you know, like who was the first treasure of the Van Buren boys? Hmm. Oh, or so like, you want or like, some... or, it's, or it's a Martin Van Buren question. Yeah. Like, who is Martin Van Buren's first secretary, secretary of agriculture? I don't know. Did they have a secretary of agriculture then? Oh, please. All they had was secretary of agriculture. All there was was agriculture. Yeah. Really I feel like that they didn't have a lot of fat in the cabinet. Um. No, I bet the cabinets were even fatter. They probably had like secretary of like the post office and nonsense like that. Hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to see uh, any of the they highlights. Also, they probably didn't have like secretary of state. I mean, no one's going overseas. <laughs> so uh van buren he served a single term as the eighth president he was a democrat uh he served in a number of senior roles he was also the eighth vice president and 10th secretary of state both under andrew jackson but his inability as a president to deal with the deep economic depression following the panic of 1837 and with the surging Whig party, it led to his defeat in 1840. Yeah. So just to answer the question, uh, the first secretary of agriculture, 1889, the great Norm Coleman. So, uh, okay. So beyond the <laughs> uh, Van Buren era. How about this? You flash the eight. I come over to you. I say, who was Martin Van Buren, secretary of agriculture? You say, you have to say, there was no, there was no secretary of agriculture back then. It's 60 years too early. Boom. You're safe with the VBBs. <laughs> Okay, if you say so. <laughs> so uh, we've learned the sign of the Van Buren boys, and Kramer now has that secret. Uh, so we go back to Jerry on the date, and uh, he's back with Ellen, and they she needs to go on a payphone. Again, this is like a, a real Seinfeld trope of uh, whoever Jerry or George is on a date with, if they need to get them away for a second, they need to go call their answering machine. Yes, I, mean, I just think it's something that people did all the time in the mid-90s. Yeah. So her friends come out of like some sort of like a coffee shop and they're like, oh, wow, like you took her out. We heard all about you. That was so nice of you to take her out. What do they mean by this? This is just another example of like the whole vagueness surrounding this Ellen. Yeah. It's just puzzling because the show never gives us an answer. It's like, okay, here's this piece. Here's this piece of information. Here's this piece of information. But when you add it all together, it just makes absolutely no sense how this was a thing. Doesn't make any sense. There's something clearly missing that we're not seeing. Like, she has friends that she's close enough to talk about a guy she went on a first date with, but that none of these friends are close enough to do anything with her on her birthday. It's just weird. Yeah. And they're concerned enough that, like, oh, that's really nice what you're doing for her, but they can't be bothered to spend any time with her. What if she's dying? Hmm. Like, that's why she doesn't care about her birthday, because, like... She's not even going to have another birthday. Okay, but even if that was the case, okay, she's dying. How did George and Kramer spot that immediately? I mean, you oh, have Jerry. You don't think Kramer could spot death? Kramer I could spot death from 50 feet away. I, I guess he can. But the whole idea here is that Jerry can't find a reason quick enough to break up with anyone. He can't find anything unacceptable with this woman. Yeah, I, It's a good question. I just don't know if there are any answers. Yeah. Okay. So... George is talking about this whole situation with Jerry, and George is the one to first put out the idea. Maybe she's like the loser of the group. You know, every group has one, like Elaine in our group, <laughs> which I do think is a funny line. It's really one of the best lines in the whole series, honestly. Yeah. 
It's a great joke. So funny. And so George thinks he found someone for the scholarship. He's talking about how he likes architecture, and uh, he is uh, very excited about the young man, Stephen. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I like, I like Stephen. Yeah, I don't care You know care what Stephen does now? What does he do? He's a producer. Oh, what does he produce? I don't know. Small movies that don't make any money. Okay. Hey, look, he's doing something. I never get those. Like, like everyone in Hollywood says they're a producer, but if they have like one movie and like four short films on their IMDb, how do they pay their bills? Points. Points? Yeah, you get there's points. No, on there's stuff. no points on like some straight to DVD movie. <laughs> you don't know that. Yeah, of course I do know that. I mean, <laughs> the points aren't enough to pay your bill for 20 years. All right. Well, they maybe they have other jobs that you don't put they on must, IMDb. Or their parents are really rich. Yeah, yeah maybe well, that's they, possible maybe, also. Yeah. Yeah. This kid right. looks like his parents are rich. I think so. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, he got a part on Seinfeld. Maybe he's get royalty money. You know, royalty money from one episode doesn't pay your bills. That's like four bucks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and Jerry, this is when he tells us that he had a dream last night. A hamburger was trying to eat him. Yeah, that is a great dream. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we see Elaine and Peterman. And Peterman is uh, going to be telling Elaine about things that he wants in the book. Elaine is very excited about this proposition because, of course, that we have seen her adventures following Peterman uh, to Myanmar slash Burma. And he says, no, we use all those stories in the catalog. This book should just be about what he does day to day. And we see Peterman like playing with the remote control. And uh, talking about where they moved his channels to. It really um, bothers me. Like, I know they're trying to portray Peterman as really boring for this episode because it works with the storyline of he has nothing to write in the book. But it's weird. Like, Peterman should have a really fancy apartment in the city. It's weird that she comes in and is like, this is not what I expected your apartment to be. No, that's like, well, he should have a really fancy apartment. I'm, I'm like befuddled by this. I mean, this whole situation is also uh, pretty bizarre. I mean, Peterman says, oh, it's just a place to flop. Uh, and he goes into this recliner. But even if Peterman didn't want it to be about his story, I mean, th- that he doesn't want to like talk about like, where did you grow up? Like, what did you, uh, how did you get into the fashion industry? Like, did n- none of that we're going to have in this book, just about him returning pants. You know what I think? He, I think he's like still sort of like jet lagged and oh, like, you know, not he's like over it when he since he came back from Burma slash my aunt. My How do you start the company? I mean, like, listen, I, I just think that he Peterman is really out of it right now. <laughs> OK, you think that's an interesting story? I mean, his, the problem is his stories are so boring that it is a, ultimately a good idea to steal Kramer's. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's maybe some seasoning, but I think that you probably have, uh, you know, a pretty good story just in terms of here's a person who started a successful business uh, mail order catalog. I feel like there's got to be a story there. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. He just might not be the right person to tell it. His, like his style of storytelling is just too dull. Okay. It's gonna, he's going to focus on some like, you know, Pashmir, Pashmir, Pashmina. <laughs> So he's going to order a pizza from Lorenzo's and then he's looking for a coupon in his book. And again, uh, Peterman is uh, very boring in real life. So we see Jerry and uh, Ellen out again. He's trying to figure out what's wrong with her. Is this the same outfit you were wearing yesterday? Uh, That's, of course, uh, famous from uh, the woman that wore the same outfit every day. Uh, Is that a fork that fell on the floor? Is that a reason why Jerry broke up with a woman or is that just something that would bother him? I mean, yeah, well, Jerry would. I mean, it's similar to like the toilet and the, the toothbrush and the toilet. Yeah. Thing. Like Jerry would. He's going to break up with you for that. Okay. So Kramer and George end up coming in and they see Ellen 
and they recoil in horror. Yeah, it's just such an unclear scene. It's one of the strangest scenes like we've had in a long time. Yeah. Later on, we'll see that they do an intervention uh, with Jerry. So George introduces to the people at the foundation the first Susan Ross scholar. It's Stephen. And while at first the board seems not thrilled with Stephen and his qualifications, uh, and again, uh, that he doesn't, they don't like his uh, GPA because uh, George tries to explain, well, you know, with standardized tests, um, they say that that's not a standardized test. Uh, that's how much, that's his actual grades. And uh, he announces that Stephen is going to be an architect, to which Stephen says, well, maybe not. I mean, what, Stephen, I mean, I, is he pulling this on George, like, at the meeting on purpose? It's unclear. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's just, like, has a amazing ability to read the room, which... Unlike George Costanza, that he can tell what, what people actually want to hear. Yeah, no, he really is a master. Like, he comes into this meeting, he has no chance of the job, and within 20 seconds, he's got the gig. Yeah, he goes right into city planner. He feels like that's going to play better in the room. And George is getting very upset about this whole thing. That's not an architect. How do you think you'd be at city planning? Um, I'm trying to think of how I've done in The Sims. <laughs> I, I feel like that city planning is pretty hard. I'm not a details guy. That's not that's not my that wouldn't be my thing. Yeah. And Steven says, uh, isn't an architect just an art school dropout with a tiny desk and a big ruler? And George gets very offended. It's called a T-square. Right. And then the guy says that he uh, the like the biggest loser in his fraternity <laughs> became an architect after failing out of dental school. Yeah. He actually is the stupidest guy in his fraternity. Uh, now, for Stephen to know that an architect is an art school dropout, that seems like uh, pretty heady for like uh, a 16 year old kid to know about. I mean, here's the thing. If a kid says he wants to be a city planner, do you know what that means, Rob? No. That means his dad or his uncle is a city planner. Oh, he's got it. You know in what I mean? Blood. You have to you, like nobody knows, especially pre-internet. Nobody knows what a city planner is. Like it, it, it's somewhere in the family he knows about it, and then he's probably then he's also probably heard his dad mock architects. Probably, yeah. He's repeated what's uh, been said around the house. So we go back to Peterman, and Peterman is uh, meeting with Kramer and Elaine. And so that he really enjoys uh, this story. And I, I glossed over that yeah, Elaine the, uh, brings up the story about the Van Buren boys. And uh, Peterman says that, oh, we should just use that. Uh, Elaine says, you can't do that. So they're going to pay him for that story. So he's telling the story. And Peterman uh, says that was one ripping good yarn. He hands him a check. And Kramer says he's got a lot more stories where that comes from. I like when he offers any uh, erotica stories. Um, yeah. I, I, like, I wonder what this first check is for. If he's offering him 1500 for the, you know, Kramer wants 1500 He's only offering 750 for the whole thing. I guess the story's 50 bucks. If that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every cheap. story you own is 750 I mean, what is this story? Yeah, and we don't get him bucks? cheap. I mean, he wasn't willing to give Elaine any stock options. He's pretty stingy with money. Yeah. I mean, what is the price on a Van Buren boys uh, encounter at Lorenzo's? I mean, I kind of think that well, here's the thing. it has no value to Kramer. Right. But to Peterman, it has a lot of value because it's going to be like a key story in his book. Right. It's kind of a good deal. I mean, what could Kramer do about it? I mean, now I guess he could tweet it. But in 1997, I mean, uh, the, no way to monetize that story. Um, no, I would agree. Yeah. Okay. So... 
Kramer has all these stories. Uh, Peterman wants to know how much for the whole lot. Kramer throws out $1,500, and Peterman says, I'll give you half that, and Kramer, again, uh, shades of all the Jackie Childs negotiations. Very happy to get an offer and take $750. This does seem like a great deal for Jay Peterman. Um, It's a good deal. Uh, Yeah, if he uses the story for his book, I think it is a good deal, yes. Yeah, and so Peterman tells Kramer, consider Elaine at your disposal. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I, I mean, I, I guess like the whole company is just ultimately there to serve Peterman. So like she does have a job, but I guess she should follow around his uh, autobiography guy. Yeah, this might um, be more important than her actual day job, getting the book out. So we see Elaine and Kramer working. Kramer is golfing and he is uh, like putting in the office and he's trying to tell the story, the the quote unquote pants story. And so which starts, he was on the phone with Bob Sacamano and then he needs to return a pair of pants. So he goes to the store. Elaine seems very upset about what happened to Bob Sacamano. I mean, it just seems like, okay, he must have hung up the phone, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's also like a very, yeah, there's nothing really Sacramento-y about this story. Yeah. And so Kramer decides to go through the tunnel in the subway system to return these pants. Elaine is getting excited because she's going to think a train is coming, but no, that's not what happened. Kramer slipped and fell in the mud, ruining the pants he was returning. And Elaine is, uh, really can't believe that he was wearing the pants he was going to return. Yeah, I mean, I, that is a pretty typical Kramer story. I don't know if this is bookworthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peterman's going to like this story. Yeah, although the thing is, Peterman has to like, I guess Peterman's the type of guy who cares about clothes. Now, is this someone who, like, someone who cares about clothes? Is this something they do? I guess so. Yeah. Well, maybe it, Peterman could spin it where it gave him some sort of, like, idea for a certain type of pants, like some sort of, like, um, you know, the pants that you could just clean with, uh, you know, wiping them. Like, uh, you don't have to wash these pants. Right. Or, like, pants you buy that are already muddy. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> All right. So uh, Kramer announces he's having a party uh, to in honor of his financial windfall. I mean, this is really uh, this money is not going to go far for Kramer. This seven fifty, yeah. it's not going to last long. Elaine says that uh, she has plans. No, Kramer wants her there to document it, uh, and Elaine is getting annoyed about this. Yeah, I mean, Kramer already has forty years of stories. Like she should be able to make a whole book just out of what he's already got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, and Kramer has a uh, pretty big fall here on slipping on the golf ball, Keeve. Uh, yeah, this do- it doesn't really do it like go anywhere, but yeah, it's uh, it's just a pretty funny pratfall. Okay, so Jerry and George are talking about uh, the relationship with Stephen. George is saying how he's not getting the scholarship now because of that. He said he doesn't want to be an architect. Ellen calls up, and uh, they're talking about spending the weekend together. And at this point, George goes and knocks on Kramer's door, brings in Kramer, and we get an intervention between George and Kramer about they need to talk to Jerry about what is he doing with Ellen. I mean, it's a really subtle, like, you know, way to start it, and it's really, like, funny, good scene. It's funny, again, but she's a loser, and they're trying to get to the bottom of why are you doing this? Why are you with this woman? Like, you know, we've said it five times already, but like there just needs to be a little bit more to her character that like to at least make it ambiguous whether she's a loser or not. Mm -hmm. And also, like, she is so attractive that you could argue it like even if she's the world's biggest loser, like even if she picks her nose, like who cares? Yeah. I mean, come on. (laughs) Also, Jerry is so excited to go on the date to go on like the weekend to Vermont Mm -hmm. or whatever with her. Like this is the most excited we've seen him since like 
Newman said he was leaving. Yeah. And so we end up with George asking Jerry, uh, what's, why are you doing this? Is it your career? Things are going to pick up. Uh, and again, uh, this has happened a couple times in season eight. Uh, Jerry's saying there's nothing wrong with his career. Uh, Kramer asks again about the Bloomingdale's executive training program that Helen Seinfeld brought up a couple episodes ago. Yeah, very good callback. Yeah, very funny. And uh, George says, we said we're not going to talk about this right now. So I like that George and Kramer have discussed this in private. You know, definitely the canon of this scene is really good. (laughs) Yeah. And so Jerry is saying, like, I feel like this. I'm in the episode of the Twilight Zone where the guy wakes up and he's the same and everyone else is different. And Kramer is asking, which one is that? And Jerry says, "Uh, they're all like that, which I think is very funny. Now, Keeve, you have never seen a Twilight Zone episode? Um, maybe when I was a kid, I saw like a minute of one. But no, I, I, it's still a good joke. I, I like it makes sense. I, it's pretty self-evident. OK, so George is now on the street and he is confronted by Stephen, who has now joined the Van Buren boys. And again, in the same way that Stephen could turn a room uh, against George Costanza, he's able to join the Van Buren boys in a matter of what hours and get the Van Buren boys uh, completely against George Costanza. Uh, yeah, no, he's not only did he join the gang. This, by the way, like just like we said, um, the this guy's dad was rich in real life. Like this guy, this kid's dad must be rich. And also, again, he's a city planner. So I guess city planners are rich. But like he must have paid off the Van Buren boys to let him in and to beat up George. Right. Yeah. Well, if his dad is so rich, why does he need the Susan Ross scholarship? I think he's just like looking probably gets out of school two days a week or something. I think that there's some financial award attached to it. I mean, he says he can't be a city planner because he's not getting the scholarship. I mean, he's a liar, though. He also said he's the captain of the chess team. We've already disproven that. <laughs> we, don't but, know, we don't know this kid well enough. He's got a long con, and we don't even know what it is. Okay. He's up to something. He's a mini Costanza. He's a mini Costanza. Okay. So uh, that <laughs> George is asking the Van Buren boys and Steven, what about being an architect? And uh, there's this one gang member in the Van Buren boys who talks a lot, and he's arguing, no, it needs to be a city planner. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that they're, they're already in on the dream. Like, they know exactly what. I'm telling you, he's paid these guys. He's paid the VBBs off. No question. Yeah, because the Van Buren boys have a strong lobby in this city. And once Steven starts uh, planning out the city, guess uh, what gang is going to have like a nice uh, couple of streets carved out to them? Ooh, that's good. It goes all the way to the top. Yeah. The long con by the Van Buren boys. So we go to the party that Kramer is throwing, which is seemingly backstage at the comedy club. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I just the same venue that we've seen 20 different parties at, right? I'm not sure if it's supposed to be the comedy club or if they just like, we, but we just know that it's the same venue, right? Yeah. So we have no idea who any of these people are that are at this party, uh, that they are Kramer's like friends that we've never seen before or again. Uh, I like that Kramer is like carrying on is like, hey, try the beef. That's real ajou sauce. Uh, he's very proud of the ajou sauce here at the comedy club. And so... There's another friend who's here. Ramirez has never heard the pants story. Keith, how is the pants story even a thing? I mean, you mean because it's such a B minus story? If a B minus, B minus is probably favorable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, right. The, the thing is, Kramer is so dynamic that his mediocre stories are great. But we've heard Kramer tell 20 better stories of things that happen off camera, like him driving the bus and fighting yeah. with Robert. Like, like, he has so many better stories. The marine biologist story, like. You know, he could also like steal Elaine or Jerry's like best, you know, 
anecdotes, so it doesn't make any sense, right? That he's just yeah. going back to the pan story well. There's a hundred better Kramer stories that we've seen on the show that have happened to him than this pants story. And so Elaine says, no, you can't tell the story. That belongs to Peterman. You sign the release. No, listen, I mean, that happens in Hollywood a lot, right? You sign your life away. That's it. It's not, it's not yours anymore. Yeah. Is Elaine being too much of a stickler? Is Kramer not even allowed to tell these stories like around a bar? I don't think so because it just takes one person to come out. And then there's a big article in the times where Peterman paid for his stories that he's ruined. Yeah. Okay, so meanwhile, George shows up. Was George invited to the Kramer celebration of the $750? I mean, he may have been invited and didn't show up. Yeah. and didn't so look like that great of a party. He's here now, and he's frantic because he needs to know how to deal with the Van Buren boys. Um, yeah, and Kramer does not, like he starts telling him, but he does not give him the, the, the eight sign ultimately. The key information. He says, hey, remember, they never hassle their own kind. I, mean, I feel like it's not his story. It's not like Kramer's property of a story to say, like, by the way, this is what their password is. <laughs> That's not Kramer's intellectual property. All right. Elaine and Jerry are talking at Jerry's apartment. Elaine is going through the notes she has from Kramer. She says half of these aren't even stories. She just has a list of what's in his apartment. Did Kramer give that to her? Because it didn't seem like Kramer was, like, herning in anything. Yeah. I mean, she must have just, like, went to the apartment one day and he must have had stuff written down in, like, diaries strewn about. Yeah. Jerry suggests to Elaine, make the writing interesting. People love interesting writing. That's a hot take, right? Yeah. Very hot take. <laughs> okay. I'd say the two hottest takes of all time. Uh, number two is Skip Bayless today saying that Bill Belichick is not a good coach. And then number one is that. <laughs> People like <Yeah>. good writing. <laughs> so Jerry says uh, that he leaves Elaine with that. He needs to go to the airport. He's picking up his parents. So much of Morty and Helen here in season eight. Uh, yeah, right. Like, it's weird. Like, they're literally in, you know, the last 30 seconds of the episode. It's uh, it's a lot, you know, good for them getting the full the full day's paycheck for, for yeah. an hour of work. Did they get elevated to series regular when we weren't no. looking? No, no, they did not. <laughs> okay. So he's going to fly them in. They need to meet Ellen. He doesn't know where else to turn. He needs to know what his parents think of her. Okay. So that Jerry's going to fly them in and try to get them to fly right back tonight so here comes kramer and he has a story about his bunions he says uh have i told you guys about my bunions uh and so he had his cold cuts uh lined up on the couch and <laughs> they shut down this story they don't even want to hear it and kramer announces that he bought a bunch of bunion stories from newman and they all stink did you see the deleted scene <laughs> no i didn't watch it yeah, so there's one short deleted scene, and Elaine goes up to Newman, and I guess he's giving her stories, but they stink. And then she she gives him eight bucks or something. Yeah. I mean, this is a very funny story, like, when you, like, uh, like after you know it's a Newman story, especially the part, not just about the bunions, but I, that I had my cold cuts lined up on the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like really like yeah that is way more of a newman story than uh than kramer <laughs> well there actually there is one funny part of the deleted scene where newman's telling a romance story and he's like you know we went out and we had like uh you know let's say it was roast beef sandwiches then we went back and we like feasted on something entirely different and he's like trying to be all sexual and he's like buffalo wings <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's actually a good line for a deleted scene 
All right, so we see Peterman reading what Elaine has, and he does not like the direction it went. He liked the part about returning the pants. That's an identifiable problem. Uh, And then he likes going down the tunnel, but he does not like when the train is bearing down, and he does not like the part where he meets a bunch of underground tunnel dwellers. Yeah, that's cliche. Everyone meets underground tunnel dwellers. Yes. Now, Akiva, this is what I want to know. Is Elaine a good writer? I think she is. I think she's just like stuck between her assignment here is insane, right? Like, are you supposed to make up Peterman stories? He's not giving you anything to work with. He's not like sitting down and like, hey, you know, tell like you said, tell me about starting the company. Tell me about your childhood. So she's really like being pulled in four different directions here. I think she's a good writer. I hate to break it to you. I think Elaine is not a good writer. She's just a writer's block. Written anything good in the entire series. I mean, look at every bad? time every time we've seen her work, it's always terrible. Uh, between what she did with Jake Jarmel and the exclamation points mm-hmm. to um, any of like uh, like nobody really is uh, nothing she does is really successful. I mean, look well, she, at the work she does on the catalog. Well, right. If you're saying like the Urban Sombreros of this, they're fine, but that has nothing to do with the writing skills. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I think the be- jury's still out on her writing skills. Yeah. Uh, the Murphy Brown script must have been so bad that Jerry and George don't good even point. make her a okay, writer on a the show. Point. That's a good point. The Murphy Brown script is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> the case is not there that Elaine is a good writer. Uh, okay. Yes. If you have any evidence one way or the other, write in and let us know. I mean, she couldn't get a job forever after uh, she got fired from Pendant. I mean, that you would think that if she had like a, a good resume, somebody would have hired her. Right. She wouldn't have been a personal assistant. She would have been like at least a, a journalist or something. Yeah. I think she has a good personality. People like her. I think she looks like she'd probably be a good writer. Like uh, she carries herself well professionally. But I mean, her I think- dad is a famous writer. Like it, it should be in the genes. Yeah. I think her work stinks. Wow. Let's see if in the next 30-something episodes we have an answer to that question. Okay. All right. So that Elaine suggests, well, what if you, instead of meeting the tunnel people, you fell in some mud and then the pants got ruined? Peterman likes the irony, the very pants that he was going to return. Uh, Yeah, no. So this is a good, like, Peterman, this is a Peterman story. He liked it. Yeah. This is like his type of story. All right. So... Kramer calls up. He wants the stories back. Peterman says, you know something? I don't need them anymore. I have a lane. And uh, he hangs up the phone on Kramer. He calls him, uh, take your tails back, you vagabond. Now, does Kramer pay him back for these, for these stories? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, that money deal is for gone. Kramer. Yeah, yeah, he got seven fifty for nothing. Yes. Okay, uh, maybe the Van Buren story. I mean, yeah, I mean... Like the in, in still like it's uh, you know, he, he did a good job here. Like it's pretty you, you're basically buying something, selling it back two days later. OK, so we see George on the street with the Van Buren boys and uh, he has not gotten the scholarship back for Stephen. And George is saying, hey, don't, you wouldn't want to mess with one of your own. And they're asking for what is the sign of the Van Buren boys? And uh, George does not know. It. George, George should have is he's such a good BS or I'm surprised he didn't have a better guess than like. The batter, the batters, you know, the baseball right. type sign. Steal third base. Okay. So we see Jerry in the coffee shop with Ellen and his parents, and uh, they're very impressed with her, very taken with her. She says, hey, 
oh, the money uh, is uh, due in the meter. I'll go put the money in the meter for you. Now, why did Jerry drive to Monk's? I think because he plans on driving his parents straight to the airport for Monk's, right? He said he wants them to go home tonight. But is Monk's not within walking distance of Jerry's apartment? It is, but maybe their stuff is in the trunk ready to go. I guess so. So he picked them up from the airport. Yeah, took them to Monks, uh-huh. and then they're going right back to the airport. All in ideally, one and they although if you ever like, met an old person, they don't like operate like you know the way he wants them to. They're like, okay, yeah, we're landing here at nine. Happy to go back home at ten. Yeah, yeah, I okay. feel like it's a tall task for for elder people like the Simon. Yeah, it's a lot for anybody, and so okay. uh, they love Ellen. They think she's fantastic. She's smart. So much personality. Um, do you like her? Um. It's I mean, she's so likable. I, I just the scene is upsetting, right? Yeah. You know, a little uh, disconcerting. Helen says she's so sweet and she's got some body on her. I don't think I'd be ready to, for my mom <laughs> to, to have that conversation with me. You're such a prude. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I mean, she, it's not like it's not like a hot take, right? Like this is a clearly attractive person cast because they're really attractive. You yeah. Know, she's good enough for Ben Stiller in his prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The height of his powers. And so Jerry is asked, well, do you like her? And now he's like, well, now I'm not so sure. And Helen says she's much better than that Amber girl you were with. And uh, Jerry's thinking about, oh, I wonder if she's back from Vegas. And Amber's not a real girl. Like, there's no, he doesn't date an Amber on, on screen. So this is weird. Like, we, we were told that nothing ever happens off screen. But clearly, uh, we, you know, we missed this Amber girl. It must have been over the summer when there was no show. Yeah, what do you think she's doing in Vegas? I mean, Showgirl? they're trying to make her. Yeah, they're trying to make her sound trashy. So something like that, probably. Mm-hmm. All right. So then we see George in the alley with the Van Buren boys, and uh, he's trying to argue that the sign he gave was the sign when he was back in the Van Buren boys. Not a bad lie. Not not a terrible lie from George. Yeah, and they say, okay, well, you need to steal the wallet from the next person that war- walks by. And it's Morty and Helen Seinfeld, and George is saying, uh, hurry up, old man. I'm an animal. Give me your wallet. And they're confused. They're like, what are you doing? And then he's trying to steal Helen's purse, and she's like, you're being very rude. Come on, Morty. This is an uneven scene, right? It's a little weird. Um, But then at the end, Morty says, "Uh, tell your parents we said hi. Now, is that like an F you to George? No. I think it's it's, it's just pointing out like they don't know what's flying. They're just saying. But they hate the Costanzas. I know, but he's just being friendly. It's almost like if the Seinfelds came in and had like some expert read on the situation where it was like, oh, yeah, now George is going to get his ass kicked. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't yeah, think tell, so. Tell your parents we said hi. Like, uh, uh, I think Morty's just in space. Yeah. Oh, they've been through a lot. Um, yeah, it's a long day. I mean, they, they were in Florida at four o'clock and now they're here. Yeah. So what do you think happens then? Is uh, George uh, beaten to a pulp? I think so. I mean, probably like he gets hit once and then he cries and they ran away. Yeah. Keith. To me, I felt like that this episode does feel short. It feels yeah. like um, when it was over. Scenes, the fewest in, in years, I think. And I thought that this was like a two-part episode. When do we get into Kramer doing the Kenny Kramer tour? Is that next season? Well, you think you thought that was part of this episode? Yeah, because doesn't he do the Peterman tour? I'm the real Peterman. That this is, and then he ta- starts taking people on the tour? Yeah, that's season nine. Okay. See, I thought that was all part of this episode. No. And I feel like it, this could have used that, I think, a little bit more. No, that's a muffin top. That's that's <laughs> to come soon. Yeah. All right. Well, I said. I, by I, the way, I said season nine, but it's the end of season eight. 
Tesla. The end. Okay, later this season. Okay, uh, so uh, we'll see when we get there. So, all right, so let's grade this out. Um, Jerry with Ellen, and uh, that she's a loser, but he can't understand why. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, it's frustrating because they're not giving you enough that they should, you know, of what they should be giving you. But um, I-, I think the idea of it is interesting that, like, everyone hates her. Uh, I'll give it a B. Okay, I will say I'll, I'll give it a C, and I feel like I'm being favorable. Um, it's a funny idea of that there's like that he can't understand why she's single and why her friends are being that way. But I mean, I think that Seinfeld has got to explain like at the end of the episode, like you know, it's got to be a reveal. This is the show that ties everything together. You know, tie this one up. I agree. I think that you know we go over this with such a fine tooth comb. I think if this is just an episode you're watching. At 11 o'clock at night on TBS or whatever. Like, it's a funny episode, but this is the type of episode that holds up poorly when really examined closely. Yeah. I mean, could we crack this? Is there some reason that we can come up with that would tie into something else going on in the episode? Is she uh, part of the Van Buren boys? I mean, these are all, spe- this is all speculation. I've thought of it a lot. I don't have, maybe there's something that's right under our nose, but we're missing it, but. Again, if you have a better theory, write in. Let us know, and we'll say it next week. Yeah, let us know. Okay. Uh, then let's uh, talk about George and the foundation. Uh, not so much heavy lifting, but the scenes are all funny. Uh, I like George interviewing the kids. Uh, but then George's joke that like about Elaine being the nerd of the group is such a Hall of Fame joke that I'm going to give it an A- minus here. Okay. I'll go more on the side of the B plus uh, just because we don't really have, uh, you know, a great ending to the storyline. But I do like that Georgia picks the kid out because he is uh, a liar like himself. So I'll give it a B plus. Uh, what about Kramer? Um, you know, the idea of Kramer like buying the stories is pretty funny. The last scene isn't great. I'll give it a B. Okay, uh, no issue there. And then what about Elaine and Peterman and uh, being the ghostwriter for his book? I mean, Peterman's not especially annoying in this episode. Um, the idea is funny. It's maybe not perfectly fleshed out. The truth is the scene with Newman might have actually added something. I understand why they cut it. It didn't like bring anything forward, but there's a good joke or two in there. Um, I'll give Elaine a B-. minus. Okay, B-. minus. Uh... <sighs> I, I guess so. It's that's fine. I, I probably would go a little bit lower, but um, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? It's a it's a flawed episode. Not perfect. I look, we were very high last week on uh, the comeback. comeback. Yeah, uh, they can't all be winners. All right, Keith. So I'm interested to know where you put this. Uh, are we back under a hundred this week? Hmm. What do you think? I'm gonna say one ten. No, I think you're a little down on it. I just think there's a few funny jokes. Um. You know, maybe we're holding it to like such a high, you know, like uh, standard because the plots are kind of stupid. But mm-hmm. it's definitely funnier than, you know, 70, 80 episodes easily. I actually have it at number 81. 81. I'm hard on these plots that don't really. Uh, no, listen, well, that's up. what we do. That's what other if. If it was just our jokes funny or not, this would be a 30-second podcast. I'm there's sure not really a better. transcendent moment. There's not. There's a good joke, right. but it's not a moment, I don't think. Uh, there's no line that you would say from this episode, uh, you know, right. except the maybe the Van Buren, eight, you know, eight-finger sign. No, you're right. There's no. Cla- there's definitely no classic line. There's no manhandsy thing. Like, the idea of dating loser is funny, but it doesn't get into it so well. Yeah. All right. So, Keeve, uh, let's dig into our mailbag here for the Van Buren boys. Let's do it. 
All right, so uh, I will shoulder the load here for the Van Buren boys. And why don't we start off with Jeff P., who says, well done, guys. Perfect timing with this podcast, considering it's President's Day week, based on an episode that is named after a U.S. president and had a great President slash President's Day joke. Uh, she's not Lincoln. Yes, uh, so well, well done on the timing by us. Good job, us. Okay. Greg in Kyoto, and Greg is another one of these uh, listeners who have gotten to the party late. He's been making his way through the podcast since autumn of 2016, and now after listening to 111 episodes, I thought I should finally email in and offer my thanks and comments. So, so this, this these, could be months till he actually hears this. Right. So these were Greg's highlights of his binge. Uh, he says that the most entertaining drama was the self-loathing nerd debacle. I stopped what I was doing and sat down to listen to that tension. I believe that was from our recap of highlights from 100. Yes, that was episode 100. Should have quit right then. We should have quit there. I love how Rob, around the 105 episode mark, started using Kiev more frequently. I hate it when Rob calls him a Kiva. So formal. Yuck. Um, yeah. And when did you start calling me wheels? Like episode 135. I think around there. Around there. Uh, Chester also, like, uh, he will often uh, introduce you as wheels on the 32 Fans podcast, but then follows it up with, how's it rolling? I think that's too much. It is too much. I wish he would stop, but... <laughs> What are you going to do? Uh, then keep up the good work, guys. I hope I can catch up to you before the run finishes. Many thanks for keeping me entertained during my long hours at my office uh, in Kyoto. In Japan, it is common to wear surgical masks when you have a cold. However, I wear it to disguise my laughing when I'm listening to the podcast. On the upside, my boss thinks I have a cold and encourages me to leave early. It's a win-win. That is, uh, that's Costanza-esque, Greg. I, that's I, good. I also should be wearing a surgical mask right now. Yeah. But you're not going well, let me anywhere. ask you a serious question. Yeah. Uh, from one dad to another dad. Yeah. And this is my fourth kid. It's not, you know, like you had two kids. The second kid, it's not nearly as big of a deal as the first kid. If you have mm-hmm. a third kid, it's much less of a deal. I right? get it. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of sick. If my wife wake, bursts into this room right now and she's in labor, I have to go or can I stay home? Mm, I think you have to go. I mean, I, but I'm sick. I'm going to like get the baby sick. Right, right. Could you could you spin it of that? I am my concern for all the other parties involved. Mm-hmm. That uh, could I potentially screw things up by being sick? I think I, I could get away with that easily had I not like been useless the last thirteen years or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if she knew me, if she didn't know me this well, she would think like, oh, you right. know, he, he like he wants to be there so bad, he must be really sick. But her, she must, she she would just be thinking like. Oh, he's probably doing like another podcast or like there's a game on. Right. That I don't know about. So yeah. I don't, my wife sure would see right through that. She would say, she'll, I think no. she'll see through it. And she would also get really mad when I like drop the kids off as a, at a, at a babysitter or something, even though I was mm-hmm. here by myself. Yeah. My wife would say, no, that's not true. You only care about yourself. You don't care about getting anybody else sick. And so. like, think about how many years I would have to hear about like you weren't even in the hospital for the birth of this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think you oh, stopped. Probably not worth it. Yeah. I think okay. So. All right. Hopefully you'll recuperate before that. All right, Johnny DeSilvera wants to know, interested in seeing uh, Christine Taylor in this episode as three years from when the episode aired, she will marry Jerry Stiller's son. Yeah, we're on top of the wall on that one, Johnny DeSilvera. Johnny, you got to ask us something you do th- we're not going to get to during the episode. No, I'm just kidding. That's good. <laughs> Lindsay wants to know, what animal would you say is your favorite if you were trying to win a scholarship? We know frog is the wrong answer. You're probably supposed to say an owl or something, right? That's a good question. Hmm. By the way, Lindsay, uh, a big star now. 
Yeah, yeah. So I talked to her on the uh, Rob is a podcast this week. Although I did not know no plug for the Seinfeld podcast and no plug for the trip to the farm. Yes, yes, she didn't hype that. In fairness, I don't know necessarily like Yeah, it was probably recorded, we recorded weeks yeah. before we invented the trip to the farm, but bad yeah. job by Lindsay not plugging the Seinfeld. It was probably around the same time. Okay. So, uh what animal would you say if you could be any animal? I mean, I think if like it depends on what type of job it is, but don't you want to say lion cuz I'm like the king of the jungle and I'm like gonna I'm the best. Yeah, a lion. People love dogs. Yeah, I th- you can't go wrong with dogs cuz if they say like wrong answer like what? Do you hate dogs? The worst thing you could be called in 2017 is a dog hater. So Terrible. I don't think, think you'd want to like I think dog is the right answer. Yeah. And I and my dog is the best. Yes, totally. At least on job interviews, you would say. Mm-hmm. Um I, but if I'd give an honest answer, I kind of I'm kind of into rabbits. I like rabbits. Rabbits. Yeah. I didn't know this about you. I know. I mean, I hate like I, I, I here's the thing. Rabbits like as portrayed on like in like books and TV and stuff are cute. But like in real life, they're much uglier than on the show. Mm. Also, yeah. I don't know if this counts as like an animal, but I, I but I would love to have like a pet penguin. Yeah. Pe- pet penguin. It would be fun if there was a penguin in the house. Like, I feel like they would be fun to hang out with. Why? In like a room that was totally fr- penguins are awesome. What do they do? They're just like act cool and stuff. I don't know. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Can a penguin like peck you and like bite you or something? I don't know. Could a human win a fight against the penguin? I'm not sure. I would think so. We got a, we got a falconer. I think falconer's wife works at the zoo. Let us know if uh, penguins could beat up people or people. I think if a penguins. penguin was attacking you, I think you could probably like for the sake of the podcast, the Sean. Week. If you just ask your wife to get into a fight with a penguin and let us know how it goes. It's really nice. <laughs> okay. Then Lindsay also wants to know how much would you sell your life story for? I mean, there's just no value. Like, I I mean, I think she means like all your stories Mm -hmm. that I couldn't tell them. I mean, first of all, I'm out. Like I've done 150 episodes of this. Like I've repeated many stories already accidentally. So yeah, they have no value. (laughs) What about you? Hmm. (sighs) Um, probably more than $750. Yeah. I mean, I mean, does that, could you like make a deal, like not include reality TV stories, like your, your survivor stories? Cause those have value. Look, I mean, I got a podcast like 30 hours a week. I mean, uh, but then really... could you go buy someone else's stories like on oh. the cheap? Could you yeah. start like Craigslist, like go on Craigslist and say like, hey, anybody have any good stories? I'm sure some of those Craigslist freaks have stories. Yeah. But do I want stories? Like, are any of those stories going to be believable coming from Listen, me? like you got you might have to change up your image a little bit with with different stories. <laughs> you might have to become yeah. like more of a like a bad boy, a rebel. Oh, that would be good. Uh, Mike C says, Akiva, if you lost the rights to all of your stories, would you pay $8 for a bunch of Chester stories? I mean, I could just make them up on the spot. So I was doing a spreadsheet and in the middle, I thought of another spreadsheet ranking the past four spreadsheets. And then, um, like, I mean, they're all spreadsheet related. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He did tell a story on, on the, um, 32 fans podcast this week about his wife. That was a little racy. Yeah. (laughs) I would pay. I would pay eight bucks for that story, but he already told it on the podcast. Yeah. Oh. Uh. What, what part of the podcast was it in? Like when? Like you want me to timestamp it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I didn't listen to the podcast. I have no idea. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Do you know, you listened. I, don't I, know. I listened to the first half. 
Yeah, so it was in the first half because you told me that you thought uh, about the story. Oh, yeah. Well, th- I don't think that's a racy story. Yeah, oh, no. I th- okay, fine. Not, not racy, but like for, yeah, for that Jester. Yeah, he was citing was that when you guys were you, you guys were in like a, in a 100% agreement about a point for the first time ever talking about how it was very unrealistic that everybody on Girls would have read the paper version of the New York Times and that – Not online. Uh, right. Yes. We were both right. And he was trying to say that he was going to, like, go and, and present that as information to his wife, who would probably say to him, well, then why don't you go have sex with Akiva? Right. Like, that's her <laughs> comeback. He says that's her comeback if, like, if he if something podcast related. And my wife <laughs> says the exact same thing, except she says, why don't you go marry Chester or go marry Rob then? So right. I think, I, you know, my like, <laughs> sex is out of the question, like. She doesn't think I have enough game to, to get it with Chester, I guess. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Brett, fr- who is currently in Medellin, Colombia via Vancouver. Medellin. Oh, sorry. I apologize. Uh, you're like Mr. Entourage superfan. I am not Mr. Entourage superfan. You're, you're related to an Entourage superfan. My brother is, sure. Sure. Yes. Um, like Dan the Benefactor, I also worked at Blockbuster, but on my recommendation from this episode, I got the manager to put picks up on the wall. I took pride in making regular picks for a few weeks, then I ran out of stuff, and I started just making themes. Regular customers would come in and ask for recommendations, and I would offer my spoiler-free opinion, only to have them come back next week and agree. Soon they started catching on that I was theming my picks and would try to guess what they were, i.e. all Dolph Lundgren or all movies with the word fighter in the title. Then one week, all Seinfeld feature films, Weekend at Bernie's 1 and 2, Firestorm, uh, and sadly, we had no copies of The Channel, Checkmate, or Sack Lunch. Yeah, good job by Brett. Craig from Vancouver. Lots of Vancouver emails today. You know, I think that the one most valuable thing about this podcast is that it enlightened me on the fact that Kramer can't remember anyone's name. I never noticed that before. Here's another case with calling Mr. Peterman, Mr. Peterson. Yeah, I didn't really catch it, but you, he does it so often you barely even notice that. But that's funny. Is it there in the first five seasons? No, it's, it's clearly like something they thought of. And had they done it from the day one, it actually would have been like a really good quirk. Mm-hmm. But here it's like something that you have to be a super fan to like pay attention to. Matt in Massachusetts says, uh, why didn't George just follow Morty and Helen to avoid the Van Buren boys? I doubt they would have beat him up in front of witnesses. Oh, I mean, first of all, Rob thinks that they want him to get beaten up because they hate the Stanza so much. <laughs> yeah. And like, why would you endanger uh, old people for your own benefit? Like, They're not helping the him. Direction. Yeah, I, I know. But still, you don't want like then Jerry won't be friends with him anymore. Mm, I think he would. He gets his parents beat up. You don't think Jerry would forgive him? I, he probably would forgive him because they, they only care about themselves. But I, I do think that like, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Coach Jason has a question. Robin Wheels, you're killing me. You both know sports teams, players, and stats better than anyone I've ever known, but you don't know playing sports. You need a sports correspondent uh, for the college. I think it should be me. My credentials are that I am a college track and field coach in Spokane, Washington, who also teaches basketball, volleyball, tennis, weightlifting, and other fitness classes. When we get to season nine and the blood, I might be of some service uh, when old Izzy Mandelbaum shows up. So he's, tra- he's saying that we are sports nerds, but we're, we're like stats guys. We don't know about the actual like on the field action or stuff like that. I mean, maybe Akiva is. I mean, I would hardly refer to myself as like a crazy sports nut. You're a pretty big sports fan. You're not like insane like I am, but you're like 
you're in the 85th percentile. I guess so. I follow my. You teams. listen to like Mets minor league podcasts. I, I, I mean, that's, I, yes, I, I listen to my teams listen, very close. You're trying, yeah, yeah, okay. You're trying to get out of this, okay? So you're comparing yourself to me, an insane person who has actual right. like problems that ruins his life that he like only cares about sports, but compared to 99 percent of the citizens in the world, like. You are a pretty big right. sports fan, but I couldn't tell you stats on almost any play. Like if you told me what what was Cespedes's batting average last year, right? Okay, two seventy. I don't know. Well, now we have computers to tell us, those right? Things. We don't even need to know anymore, right? But so he's he's saying we're dorks who 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 stay inside and don't know sports. Fine. Uh, I mean, I don't know what sports uh, <laughs> correspondent uh, work we will need for the. I don't blood. know. He just wants to insult us, okay. Coach Jason. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's check in with Amir. Uh, Peterman's motivations in the episode made no sense. He initially decides that he wants a biography, but he ignores his fascinating travels and focuses on his mundane day-to-day life. Then he decides to buy a bunch of Kramer stories before finally setting on a lane completely make stuff up. What exactly does he want from the book? Yeah, I mean, again, it's not clear, but uh, Peterman's a crazy person. Yeah. Then... Also, Amir says, I know crime was worse in the 90s, but are we really supposed to believe that a 50s street gang is just roaming the streets on the Upper West Side looking to beat people up and steal their wallets? I mean, I feel like when the Bloods and the Crips come around, like they're whooping up on the Van Buren boys. Yes. Uh, the Bloods, uh, they are featured in uh, that season nine episode that Coach Jason oh, was going to talk about. Yeah, um, I think I think uh, are you a Bloods guy or a Crips guy, by the way? Uh which one is uh, more likely to listen to this podcast? <laughs> Neither. They're, Neither. They're cool. They're both. They, they, it's hard. I, well, I can't. I can't pick just one. I love them both so much. What's funny is when I lived in Washington Heights, I I thought it was weird. Like one day, I'm like, you know, I've seen over the last six months, like. 500 guys wearing Cincinnati Reds hats. Like, is there a player? I knew like Manny Ramirez grew up like two blocks from where I lived. Like, is there a guy on the Reds from Washington Heights besides him? Like, there's a bunch of baseball players there. Like, what? And then I realized like, oh, I think that's just like a code for like the Bloods. Probably they all wear red hats, and like the most common red hat is a Cincinnati Reds hat. Mm, okay, fun gang fact for him. <laughs> fun gang fact. First one in the history of the podcast, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then. Chester writes in uh, to say, uh, reg- and Chester, I think that uh, that you were telling me that uh, he uh, is equally uh, not in favor of the Bloods and the Crips, right? Right. No, he he <laughs> says they're both losers, and he could take them on with his spreadsheets. <laughs> and he ranked. He actually, no, he said what he said was he ranked the twenty five toughest gangs in America, and neither the Bloods nor the Crips made it. So, if you're out there, I'll, I'll let you know Chester's address. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you wrote in to say <laughs> regarding the discussion in the opening scene it will surprise no one that one of my charts ranking the presidents <laughs> includes a column of their facial hair <laughs> we started the presidency with 71 consecutive hairless years and then started another hairless streak now at 105 years in 1913 but 44 of the intervening 52 years were actually featuring haired presidents, including our only five bearded presidents, Lincoln, Grant, Hayes, Garfield, and Harrison. Uh, between 1861 to 1892, 
are only four mustachioed presidents of Arthur Cleveland, uh, T.R., that's Teddy Roosevelt, and Taft yep. between 1882 and 1912. What the hell is with the dress? Uh, that was the end of that point. That's the end. <laughs> then he also wants to know what the hell is with the dress code at the Susan Ross scholarship inter- uh, interviews. No suits. All these kids are wearing casual clothes. The arrogant one who looks like Michael Rappaport says, uh, you like that, don't you? About his 4.0 GPA is wearing a shirt and it looks like it's in the Frank Costanza's cruise collection. I mean, I think, you know, we see an intervention in this week's episode of Seinfeld. It may be time for a short intervention for Chester. <laughs> And then Chester also says, uh, speaking of Van Buren, longtime podcast listeners may remember, I consider him to be the ugliest president of all time. Okay. Uh, uh, well, he didn't tell us where he ranks Trump. Yeah, well, don't, don't uh, well, I'd say that for a 32 fans for the, uh, yeah. you know, the hot, the hottest he, of he all was, hot He picks. had said that he was going to, I believe, cancel the rankings if Hillary won because he didn't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Keep them alive. <laughs> so, all right. So that's the, uh, you know. Uh, that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting to, uh, to, to rank him. I gotta think that, uh, you know, um, I, I think it would be a hot take. It's also weird. Like half the, half the guys, like you're looking at one, like fake picture of, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like everyone looks stupid from like pre 1900. How do you, it's hard to rank those guys. It's like ranking, you know, players who don't have stats, like, you know, in the pre stats era where it's like, well, he had one home run, but we like, we don't even know if we were tracking them or not. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, you know, probably if uh, if Trump's not in the top 10, I think that Chester probably uh, I think that he's uh, playing politics with the list. <laughs> oh, God. Now you're going to get go back and now. look at the pictures. Go back and look at the pictures. This is not a political take. Right. You're saying that a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of dopes in there, especially some of the early guys that like. But they're wearing like ridiculous clothes. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you. That's uh, I think this would be it, it would be a major coup uh, if he was outside the top 10. And I think George H.W. Bush might be too low here at 13. Yeah, he's good looking, man. Uh, Trump is like a little fatter than he, he, he like wears it well, but he's yeah. like a little fatter than he seems. You know, I mean, he's an older guy. Uh, let's not get ourselves in any uh, in any All trouble right. here. Uh, Reagan right, we're, we're, at 12, I think, is also uh, I think that this is um, also what. But here's the thing. Like, where are you ranking them? Like Reagan it, on his best day was an extremely good-looking man, but by the time he got to the presidency, I think Chester just ranks them based on the presidential picture. So Reagan gets hurt because he's already so old by the time, uh, and I guess Trump would get hurt by that too. Like, yeah. they're so old by the time that they become president. Real upset that uh, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is at three. Yeah, I mean, listen, Chester has weird taste in men. Yeah, I'm looking at the chart right now of the, uh, the, the there was a link to it, so I'm looking at the uh, chart of ranked uh, presidents by handsomeness. <laughs> I don't click on any links from Chester. I assume they're viruses. It's on Medium. I'm sure you could search for it also. Okay. All right, Keeve. Uh, great job today. How are you feeling? You okay? I'm not, I'm not feeling great. I just hope she does, if she doesn't have the baby tonight, I'm sure I'll be better by tomorrow. I never get sick also, so it's annoying to be sick like now. Yeah. This seems like this is maybe like a stress thing. Like the baby is coming, like your defenses are... No, I have no stress. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I have stress. I have the whole legal leagues coming where I, we're doing three fantasy leagues in one. Mm. Yeah. One mega draft, baseball, football, and basketball. <laughs> That's <was> stressful. <laughs> oh, the League of Leagues is what's stressing you out. <laughs> the pool of pools and the League of Leagues sort of cra- crashing in at once is, is a lot. Okay. All right. Do we have a hashtag for today? Let's just do ranking gangs. <laughs> ranking gangs in honor of Chester's upcoming chart. Uh, one of the most controversial episodes of 32 Fans uh, to come. 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Latin Kings are number one right now. They're like, they're running the show in the city. I've, if you say so. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, first, no, you got to agree with me. You don't want the Latin Kings. <laughs> Again, but, I, but who would be offended if we, <laughs> if we say they are? Okay, I mean, They're big. There's, we definitely have Latin Kings listeners. Respect you guys. Uh, respect. We're pro every respect. game. Respect. Yes. I, I've always said there's not uh, enough gangs or they don't get enough yeah, credit. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, they, they definitely do. Keeping, they're keeping the streets safe, really, is what they are. Yeah. So um, more power to them. I've always been a huge Literally. We should, they should be in office. Like they, you should... They should get it all the way to the top. Yeah. You could do better than the Blasio. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, Keeve, uh, excellent work. Hope you feel better. What's coming up next Thank week? You. Next week, we've got the Susie. Uh, George wants to make a grand interest. Um, Jerry beats up a bookie, and Jerry gets called a phony. Yeah. I really don't remember very much about yeah, this episode I would, at all. I would say the Susie is one of the least famous. It's. It, I'm not saying it's a bad episode. It's definitely one of the least famous episodes of the run. I was reading the description of it going into on the DVD, and I was like, I don't remember anything about this episode. You'll remember it. You'll, you definitely will remember You remember the phony, and you'll definitely remember a bunch of things like Jerry closing the car in the boogie's hands. But uh, it, your memory will be jogged next week. Okay. Jogging the old memory. All right. That's what we do. Special thanks to Scott St. Pierre, whose uh, fine editing work brings you the Seinfeld Recap Podcast every week. Uh, so thank you so much to Scott. And, of course, thank you to Mike Moore, who writes uh, amazing recaps of all these episodes. And uh, we get them up on postshowrecaps.com. Uh, Keeve, a- anything else? Yeah, I think we're going to go out with a song. Yes. What song? Uh, the, the legend, Mike Bloom. He's, he's back after the smash success of our... Uh, R-H-A-P, uh, happy Hanukkah song. And he has got, he's, uh, he's Hamilton crazy still. And he's got a Hamilton style, uh, Martin Van Buren song to take us out today. Uh, I can't wait to hear it. So thank you to Mike Bloom. Hope you enjoy the special song. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. How does a lawyer, short man, son of a farmer and Dutchman, dropped off in the middle of somewhere in New York, Kinderhook to be specific, far upstate, grow up to be VP and POTUS 8. The short stature, brother of seven with no fracture, fed his main passion by sporting some high fashion, used his sense of compassion, political cred, he's cashing by 1821, the United States said that he was crashing. In 1829, it was Old Hickory's time, and so was Little Vance to shine. As Sec of State, he was fine, had to resign as a result of the petticoat affair, but came back as number two under a man with much more hair. Then another election came with relative little pain. The sweatower now had a presidency to his name, but the panic of 37 threw economics down the drain. Texas and Missouri were in states, which was a shame. Well, the word got around all about this abolitionist. Ran for re-election, which wound up being an epic miss. Ran with other parties, but returned from whence he came. Who knows if people know his name? So what's his name, man? Martin Van Buren. His name is Martin Van Buren. And he inspired gangs around New York. So just flash aid, just flash aid.